Good morning. I hate to break up all the good fellowship, but but let's have some fellowship and worship for our God. Why don't you guys stand up? You break the power of sin and darkness. Whose love is mighty so much stronger. King of glory. The King above all kings. Who shakes the whole with holy thunder? Who leaves us breathless in awe and wonder? The King of glory, the King above all kings. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love That you would take my place That you would bear my cross You laid down your life That I would be set free Oh, Jesus, I see that you've done for me. Who brings our chaos back into order? Who makes the orphan a son and daughter? The King of glory, the King of glory, who rules the nation. Truth and justice shines like the sun in all of its brilliance. The King of glory, the King above all kings. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my
grab your seats real quick. You know, there are times in, in church life ministry and, and things that, uh, where, where change is inevitable. In fact, it, change is always going to happen. One of the things that happens with change is the Lord um, raises people up in leadership and, and then they do a great service and then there's a time of, of passing the mantle of that leadership and we have one of those occasions Today, I'm going to ask that Lloyd and Charlotte Myers, where are you at? They're right here in the front. If you guys can come on up. So Lloyd has been deacon of missions for, I don't know, since I ever got here, and I think he got his mantle from Moses. I don't know. <laughs> it's been a long time. And Charlotte, who has allowed Lloyd to be deacon of missions and did all the work, and did all the work behind, it, it, <laughs> they have been a blessing to us for a long, long time. And so last week we had our church business meeting, and, and Trudy now has taken the mantle. There she is. Um, from Lloyd. And so within this, it's a, it, you know, it's a passing of the, the mantle of, of missions. If you haven't figured out, missions is super important to us. 18% of our income goes towards missions. And we have... Oh, my goodness. How many missionaries are we? 18, right? I was going to say 18, and I thought that didn't sound right. But, yeah, I think we're 18 different missionaries, tracking them and keeping, keeping tabs on them. Sometimes it's like herding cats <laughs> and, and, and contacting them. And then Lloyd and Charlotte have done a fantastic job of keeping us in touch with them, uh, with correspondence, letting us know how to pray, keeping all of the, the letters going and, and all of the different things. And so what we want to do is we want to recognize their years of service with, with a presentation. So this is for you, and this is for you. And I'm going to ask, uh, if we have any elders up here, we want to pray blessings over them. So you guys could come up and join us. Dan's here. I will want those back for second service, by the okay. way. <laughs> Indian giver. Just say it. <laughs> Whatever that means, I really don't know. That's okay. <laughs> Let's pray blessings over them. God, we thank you for Lloyd and Charlotte and their years of service. And more than just missions, I think of children's ministry and Awanas and all the different things that, that they do. and That they'll continue to do. Lloyd teaching Sunday school and, and all the things. But as he's passed the mantle of missions to Trudy, Lord, we pray blessings over her. But for Lloyd and Charlotte, may you continue to give them um, the energy and the drive to serve you all the days of their life. And I'm sure you're smiling down on them. We thank you for them in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, thank you. Well, you can... <laughs> well, let's uh, pray as the ushers come forward for this morning's offering as we continue to worship through giving. Giving is another act of worship where we recognize who God is and communion. So let's pray. God, we thank you. 
for this morning. We thank You for all that You've blessed us with. The life that You give to us, the breath that we just received is a gift from You. Lord, I thank You for Your provisions for this church body. And as we grow in the faith and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ and as we journey in this, this, this faith, Lord, we see You working. I see You working all the time. And You invite us into that work. And these are the provisions that empower us to do that work. Lord, and, and I could go on about how You've blessed us even this week. We want to bless You back. We want to give a blessing back to You to say thank You with these offerings and these gifts. We want to bless You with our worship. And may we worship You in spirit and in truth and through communion. Worship You, Lord Jesus, for giving Your life towards us. In all these things, may You be honored. We thank You in Jesus' name. Amen. The creation suddenly articulate with a thousand tongues to lift one and from no
to a time of communion um, where we're going to take the bread and the cup. And I want to encourage you over the next few songs, just prepare your heart for that. Some of you guys may have come in here with just a really heavy heart. You may have come in here really joyful. It doesn't really, what matters most is that during this time, I, I would encourage you to just spend time just asking God, is there anything, Lord, that I'm holding back from you? Is there anything that I need to confess to you? Is there anything I need to let go of so that I can take and celebrate communion with you, Lord. The Bible says he, would, he bled for our sins, right? He hung on that cross for us. So as we sing these songs, I just want to encourage you to think about that and think about that in relationship to what it means to you. So that this communion time is not just like wasted. It's not just downing grape juice and eating saltines. That it's like the actual body and the blood represented.
I thank you that you have provided a, a way into eternal life. Lord, as we stand before you, we stand before the throne of grace. But the path that leads us to that throne is the path through the cross. The Lord Jesus, you laid down your life, sacrificing yourself for us on our behalf. This bread and the cup that we hold remind us of the great price that you paid for us. Our salvation, our redemption is a free gift to us, but it costs you everything. And you willingly laid down your life to give us life. So Lord Jesus, we hold up this bread before you. We ask for your blessing upon it. We thank you for all that it reminds us of. The punishment that you took upon yourself. The humiliation in front of all the crowds. 
the physical death, burial, and resurrection that guarantees us eternal life. This bread reminds us that though this body will perish, that it will be resurrected again. And Lord, in that resurrection, we will experience an eternity without sin, sorrow, shame, suffering. So this cracker is a blessing to us because it reminds us of an abundant life set before us. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Let's all take the bread together. Lord, as we hold this cup up before you, we ask blessings upon it. We recognize, God, that there's no power in grape juice. The power is in the blood that was shed for us over 2,000 years ago. And God, how the blood of Jesus and that, that blood sacrifice satisfies judgment and cleanses man of all sin, I don't know. You said it and you accept it. And we thank you for that. And you, you tell us that by faith that we can enter into that place of, of having our sins washed away. And so by faith we hold this cup up. We recognize it as a memorial of our spiritual cleansing and of our new life. And we look forward, Lord Jesus, to that day that we sit at your table again where when you raise your glass at that marriage supper of the Lamb, we'll raise ours and we'll realize how blessed we really are. Till then, this is a constant reminder of the blessings of life. We thank you for this cup in Jesus' name. Let's all partake. Well, you may be seated, and if you want, there's at the end of your aisles, there's some baskets you can put your cups or take care of that. And if you would, open up your Bibles to John chapter 14. We're going to start there. We've been working through a series and a study on truth. And it's been a challenging study for me because one of the things that I have to wrestle with is... is how to study God's Word and apply these, these truths uh, to our daily life and to the things that are, that are happening. We've been working through the origin of truth. We've been working through dangerous deceptions and how the world has been lying to us. And some of our, our needs. I remember a few years back where there was a a big snowstorm that occurred. And there was a guy that had left Portland and with his family and they wanted to go to the coast. They wanted to go through the, the snowstorm. And, and he had punched up on his phone how to get there using Google Maps. Is Google Map accurate all the time? No. But he did, and he used Google Maps, and it navigated, uh, it navigated him up through the mountains, and he ended up being on this uh, closed logging road. And if you remember, he was stuck there with his family for a couple of weeks, and the man had left the family and ended up dying as a result of that. And come to find out that he, he never should have trusted his Google Map. 
He went there with a car that he should have been on and went a direction. And I got to thinking about that in light of our study this morning. Have you ever been lost somewhere? What were the emotions that came to you when you were lost? Scared. Fear. Terror. You know, one of the things that we do when we do the boys out back in August, we talk about being in the woods and wood smart and, and all, but... If you get lost in the woods, and it's easy for people to get lost in the woods, there's this, this emotion, this first fear of panic. When you realize, I am lost, and I don't know where I'm at. Now, that doesn't count if you're lost in a store. <laughs> but there's this idea of panic and, and desperation that comes in. Where it's like, I'm lost... And the panic sets in, and it's like, what am I going to do? And you try to find someone or something to orient yourself. You look around, and you're looking and seeing, well, what do I see that I know? And you, and you look at it, and you go, well, I, I don't recognize any of this that's there. And so people become desperate when they realize they're lost. And so they're going to grab a hold of anything that they feel that will lead them. They'll grasp Something that is going to give them some sense of direction. When you're truly lost and you're desperate for anything, you'll grab a hold of anything that will lead you in a direction that you think you need to go. A, a direction that will help you. And they'll, they'll follow anybody. They'll follow anything that is there. And I got to thinking about that. That's true spiritually. Do you realize that every person that is born is born lost. They're born lost. We're born into this world and we're born into sin and we're separated from God and we're lost within that sin. We begin our life lost. And we start looking as we mature. We start looking for things that are going to give us some direction, some hope, some type of path. We want to we look, and as you become more mature in your life, as you journey through this life, in looking for directions, you're going you're gonna to pass through things and you're going to go, well, that seems to be the right path. This person seems to know where they're going, and so you latch on to these different things that seem to give you meaning in your life, that seem to give you purpose, that seem to give you direction within your life. And we do that. If you take a look at, at kids, you know, they, 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 in elementary school, they'll start latching on to friends. In junior high, they start latching on to, to groups that hopefully will give them some meaning within that. They'll start latching on to people or, or activities or these other things. The problem is when they latch on to these, these areas in their life, they may not be areas that lead them down the right path. Satan is very subtle. And Satan will give to you false leaders, false hopes, false directions. Will he not? And it's a dangerous, dangerous thing when we attach ourselves to a direction that leads us to a dead end. And you hit that dead end and then you panic. And then you're desperate and you try to find another direction or another path. And then Satan says, well, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to lead you down this other direction. 
which also leads you further away from God and further into the woods and further into the darkness of this world. And we see people do that, where they, they keep going on. Satan preys on the lost. He offers his assistance in a false way through deceptions. And in these deceptions, his whole goal is to lead you further away from God. Now, if Satan's goal, and by design, is to lead you further away from God, down paths that are destructive, down a, a, a methodology that will lead you to ignore God, or not even know God at all, because what he wants you to do is lead you to a place where you'll be destroyed. God, on the other hand is also seeking to save those that are lost. I want you to imagine this in, in, in how this works in the spiritual realm. Satan is looking to take people that are already lost further away from God. And God in the spiritual realm is seeing these people being led further away from him, lost. And he's seeking to take them from their lost condition and save them and turn them around and bring them to himself. In Ezekiel, we see in Ezekiel 34.16, he says, I will seek the lost, bring back the scattered, bind up the broken, and strengthen the sick. But the fat and the strong I will destroy, I will feed them with judgment. Luke 19.10 says, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was what? Lost. You will, in your life, experience this concept of being lost. You will. Guaranteed. Even as a Christ follower, there will be seasons in your life where you feel lost. It will happen. Don't panic. God's got a plan. One of the things that we teach the kids when we go out on Boys Outback or the other things, when you feel that you're lost, what should you do? Stay put and wait for somebody to come find you. Same thing's true spiritually. When you realize that you're lost, stop. Stay put. And God will come and find you. Natural man will wander aimlessly in this world, trying to find his own path, trying to find his own direction. And Satan, the deceiver, will give you all of these lies. Follow this road. But within that, natural man will, will follow these false guides and end up even more lost than he was before. God not only will seek you, but he doesn't want you to remain lost. And so within that, we can realize that God has a plan. So then I got to thinking, well, what does lost really look like? Like practically. How does, how does someone who is spiritually lost, what do they do when they're spiritually lost and they set in panic mode within this? Well, I can tell you, one of the conditions is this, divorce. Divorce is a condition of a lost soul. We think drug addictions, alcoholism, those are all conditions of a lost soul. Those that are seeking to alter their bodies or change their genders. Those are all conditions of a lost soul. 
because they're desperate to find a path for life. Those that are, that are lost are those that are pursuing riches in their own ability to self-sustain, their own fame, their own self-gratification. Those are conditions of a lost soul. Why? Because you're pursuing a promise that Satan gives you that overpromises and underpays. All these people that have pursued other relationships through divorce or other conditions of mind using drugs and alcohol or other conditions, if I change my body or if I change my gender or if I change, these are all conditions of a lost soul because they're, they're believing a lie and they're trying to find satisfaction in some other way within this. Satan offers these paths for life, but they are really paths to death. And they're painful decisions because in the end, every single one of these people that have pursued these paths realize they're more lost than they were when they first started that journey. Panic is set in and how do I go back? Proverbs 16.25 says this, There is a way which seems right to a man, but the end of that way is what? Death. And if we know that all mankind is lost in the darkness of sin, then we need somebody that's going to lead us out. We need somebody that is going to guide us out of the darkness, off of the path of destruction, off of the path that, that overpromises and underpays. We need someone that's going to guide us out of that path because I guarantee you, left to yourself, you will not find that way back to God. And as we said earlier, God is seeking to save those who are what? Lost within this. And so God does not want to leave us lost. That's why He's given us the spirit of truth. This morning we're going to unpack the functions, who the spirit of truth is, and the function of the spirit of truth. And maybe this morning you're feeling lost. Whether you're a Christian or a non-Christian, you're feeling lost the first thing that you have to acknowledge is, I am lost and I need help. That's the first thing you have to acknowledge within that, and God promises to give you that help. He provides a way, one way. Satan will tell you there's many ways to happiness. Jesus says there's one way. In John 14, 6, you're very familiar with it. Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father, but why? By me, within this. So I'm going to ask that you stand. We're going to give you these passages. We're going to read them. They're going to, I'm going to read the text that's up here on the board. We're going to be in three different sections in John. So you don't have to turn too far. But they're smaller sections that we're going to unpack. John 14, 16-17 says this, And I will ask the Father, and He will give you another Helper, that He may be with you forever. That is, the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it does not see Him or know Him, but you know Him, because He abides with you and will be in you. John fifteen twenty six twenty seven. And when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, that is, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, He will testify about Me, and you will testify also because you have been with Me from the beginning. And John sixteen thirteen. But when He, the Spirit of truth, comes, He will guide you into all truth, for He will not speak on His own initiative, but whatever He hears, He will speak, and He will disclose to you 
what is to come. God, we stand before you surrendering our hearts to your word, to you, Holy Spirit, the spirit of truth. May you give to us truth. May you give to us guidance in this life. Lord, I love the fact that you are a rescuer, that you've come to seek and to save that are lost. And Lord, in those times of our lost condition, we know that you're going to come find us and save us. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Well, the first passage that we're going to unpack is out of John 14, 16 to 17 within that. So it says this, and again, the fact is, God knows that we need help. <laughs> Imagine God looking down from heaven going, bless your hearts, you guys need a lot of help. <laughs> and we do. We need a lot of help within this. Man needs spiritual help from God. Jesus was preparing to leave this earth. And he's telling his disciples, I'm getting ready to leave. Now imagine the panic that set in because these disciples have been with Jesus for three years. They've left everything and they're following him all over the countryside. And they're learning all of the things that Jesus is teaching them. And Jesus promises new kingdom and all of these things. And then Jesus comes up and he says, hey, I'm out of here. And the panic sets in. And then Jesus says, but before you freak out. I got a plan. As he's preparing to leave, he's not going to leave them helpless and hopeless. The verse prior to this, Jesus had commanded the disciples, if you love me, you'll keep my commands. Now, this creates a difficult condition. How many people can 100% keep all the commands of God? No one. How do we even know what the commands are? Apart from God, we wouldn't even know the commands. And he's leaving and he says, I want you to keep all of my commands. If man was capable of keeping the commands of God, then Jesus wouldn't be necessary, would he? In the Old Testament, the law was given. Was man able to keep the commands then? No. And then Jesus comes in and he fulfills all the law and he gives us the truth. And he says to his disciples, I want you to keep the commands. And they're like, we can't do it. Why? Because you can't do it on your own. You need a helper. You need someone that is going to help you keep the word of God within this and to follow the commands. We cannot walk in truth on our own or in our own strength. You can't. It's impossible. Why? Because we are fallen in our human fleshly nature, even if as a Christ follower, I still struggle with sin every day. I still struggle with the interpretation of God's Word every day. I need help. You need help. And the lost soul needs help. If you love me, you'll keep my commands. So we think about this. What's the first condition that has to change in the lost soul? The lost soul has to be saved. The lost soul has to be found. The one that is lost cannot find his way back until the one that is lost is found and given direction on how to find his way into God within this. The spiritually lost are spiritually dead. And so their condition has to change. You guys remember a guy by the name of Nicodemus? Nicodemus was a teacher of the law, came to Jesus at night in John chapter 3 and wanted to really find out 
who this guy was and the miracles that he had done. He has this whole conversation with him. And, and really, are you, are you the one that God had sent, the Messiah? How are you doing the miracles? I, I don't understand it. I can't see and understand who you are. Jesus said to him in John 3.3, 3, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Why? Because you're lost. You're lost. You can't see the forest for the trees. You can't see beyond this. Nicodemus, you have to be born again. And so the first thing that has to happen is you have to have that spiritual transformation from being dead to becoming alive through the Spirit of God. And in John 3, 5 to 6, it says this, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and spirit, he can't enter the kingdom of heaven. Which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of spirit is spirit. How am I going to hear the spirit of truth? Well, you have to be spiritually born again first. You will never hear the Holy Spirit until you're spiritually born again. Well, how does that happen? It happens very simply, confessing your condition. I am spiritually dead, I'm spiritually lost, I need to be saved. I need to be rescued. God, would you fill me with your spirit? Would you cause me to be born again? And then that saved soul has to get up and follow the spirit. First condition, you become spiritually alive. Second step, follow, now that you're spiritually alive, follow the spirit. Galatians 5.16, but I say to you, walk in the spirit and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. That is a simple but powerful passage. If you conduct your life, the walk means in how you conduct your life. If you conduct your life in a spiritual realm led by the spirit, you will not fulfill the deeds of the flesh. Why? Because the Holy Spirit will never guide you into sin. He will never guide you away from God. He always guides you towards God. And he will always tell you the truth where Satan will give to you a, the lies. And so the spirit-filled person living a spirit-led life will always have a trajectory that leads them towards God. The challenge is, have you ever been on a path and then you got off the path? I have. Most people have. When you think about this thing, you start going, you, I'm doing pretty good. And then there's this thing called squirrel. Squirrel. I'm going to go over here and I'm going to go check this out. And, and then you find yourself and you're like, oh. You know, it, it's a hunting analogy, but I, I, I know it to be true. I was out hunting a, a, a number of years ago. I was hunting with a buddy. And we were out in the woods and we had... We had um, walkie-talkies, and we're, and it's like, okay, we're going to cut through this brush. Now, if you're a hunter, you're going to understand this. Every hunting season, when you go out, you will at least once try to take a shortcut, try to check out an area, I'm going to go over there, and you end up going through the nastiest slash piles and brush that you've ever imagined. And you get stuck in the middle of it, and you go, this was a bad idea. 
I was in this pucker brush and I was in this nasty stuff and I was on the radio and I was turned around and had no which way. A compass wouldn't even help. GPS, I had no signal from the sky. I had nothing. Radio kind of worked. So I told my hunting buddy, I said, where are you at? And he says, I'm on the road. <laughs> Where's the road? <laughs> I kid you not, it was, it, it was the nastiest stuff I had been in. And it was just brush overhead. And I couldn't see anything. And I, and I told him, I said, get to the truck and start honking the horn. And that's how I got out. I had to listen, I had to stop and listen and, and reorient myself to the sound of that horn. There are times, believers, that you are going to get stuck in the worst mess that you've ever imagined because you went off the track, you, 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 you freelanced, you went someplace you shouldn't have gone, and then you got to cry for help and you need a signal. You need a helper. Now, again, you understand how this works. If we're lost, we need help. Jesus says, I'm leaving and the disciples say, you can't go. He said, but I'm going to leave you another helper. Jesus has been telling the disciples everything that they needed to know. This is where we're going. This is where we're going to eat. This is where we're going to sleep. These are the people we're going to minister. All of those things. And he says, now you're going to do it. And they're like, we can't do it. He said, but I'm going to leave you another helper within this. And he prays to the Father. He says, I'll pray to the Father another. The word another means Another of the same kind. It's interesting because you really get into this. Every time I study God's word, it goes deeper. Another of the same kind. Another of the same kind of what? Another helper that's going to be just like Jesus. But different. The word is paraclete. Jesus, for the disciples, was a paraclete. The word means one who comes alongside and leads. And helps. Jesus was our paraclete and helper, the paraclete and helper to the cross and to redemption. But his work was done, and he says, I'm going to leave you another helper like me for the next phase of your journey, who is also going to leave you and guide you. Once we are saved, we need another helper. And so the Holy Spirit is our helper, our paraclete, after we're saved. So that he will walk with us wherever we go. Jesus doesn't say, hey, get saved and figure it out. Although man tries to. We get saved and say, well, we're going to figure it out. Jesus says, no, no, no. When you come to faith, you don't have to figure it out. I'm going to send you a guide. A helper that's going to come alongside. We want to take charge of our life. When you take charge of your life, you start freelancing. And when you start freelancing, you end up, what? In trouble. In trouble. As Jesus guided every step to the disciples, he would send the Holy Spirit to guide the disciples. And I want you to think about how smart this really is. I think Jesus is pretty smart. How many places, when Jesus came to earth and became incarnate, how many places could Jesus be at one time? One. And he had a hard time wrangling the disciples, right? All 12 of them trying to figure out what's going on. How many places can the Holy Spirit be at one time? Everywhere at one time. Jesus, in his role 
had a specific condition to be a guide for the twelve to get things started. He leaves. And he says, I'm going to leave. I'm going to send. I'm going to pray to the Father that he will send another helper, the third person of the Godhead, to come be with you, disciples, and the church, individually and personally, forever indwelling within you and the church. Jesus would be our advocate before the Father in heaven. We know that based on John, 1 John chapter 2, 1. The Holy Spirit would be our advocate to God while we're on earth. We have an advocate in heaven, paraclete, and we have an advocate in earth, the Holy Spirit that's dwelling within us. Who is He? The Spirit of truth. God's truth. You have access to the truth of God, the power of God, the understanding of God dwelling within you in the person of the Holy Spirit. Those that are Spirit-filled and Spirit-filling comes at conversion. You are filled with the Spirit to the fullest at salvation. The Holy Spirit is within you at salvation. Dwelling within you to guide you, to be your helper, not so you don't have to figure it out on your own within this. And he's bringing the truth, the truth of the Father, the truth of the Son there into our hearts. God is spirit. If you want to be able to really connect with God, you've got to worship him in spirit and in truth. In John chapter 14, verses 23, 24, this is the conversation that Jesus had with the Samaritan woman. Where he says, Jesus answered and said to if anyone loves me, he's going to keep my word and the Father will love him and I'll come with him and abode with him. He who does not love the Father doesn't love me with my words and the words which you hear are not mine but the Father's who sent me. We hear the word of truth. How do we hear the word of truth? I had a conversation with a, 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 one of the guys yesterday at the men's breakfast and he, he made a comment. He says, Pastor Kerry, when you teach, it's like you're talking just to me. I said, that's right because I got the email. No. I study God's Word. It flows through the Spirit that dwells within me, out of my mouth, to you. You hear it and connects with the Holy Spirit that dwells within you that gives you the insight that this is a message for you. The Spirit of truth is that which brings out that truth. That's that connection. When you resonate with the spoken word of God, it is the spirit of truth that is in you interpreting that word for you. It's nothing magical that I do. It is something that spiritually happens from God. And even further, where does the source come from? God who is in heaven connects with God who is the spirit that is in you, that connects with your cognitive being, so that you will hear the Word of God and be changed by the Word of God. The natural man cannot understand this. Why? Because he's spiritually dead. And so when God's Word speaks to your heart, it is through the Spirit of truth. The world doesn't know the truth. The word world here is cosmos, which it implies it's the moral order that is in rebellion against God. Why can the world not hear the, the spirit of truth, because they're in rebellion. They don't want to hear it. The unregenerated person cannot recognize divine truth 
because they've rejected the divine God. Now that's powerful. Because that means that the lost remains lost. The lost soul cannot hear the one calling to them because they've put earplugs in. They don't want to hear. The exact opposite is true for the Spirit-filled believer because when truth is spoken, the Holy Spirit is taking that truth and, and advocating for that truth in your life. Now, can I be a Spirit-filled believer and not hear the truth? Yeah. How does that happen? Sin. Rebellion. Rejection. It's like you put on intentionally mufflers that, that won't... God, I don't want to hear you right now because I want to be in my sin. And we ignore that truth. So when we confess, what do we do? We take off the mufflers. We take out the earplugs and we say, Word of God, speak. Word of God, speak. The other thing that I think is important to understand in this passage in, in, in John 14... 16 and 17, is that the Spirit abides in you. Now, when we think about this word abide, it's a really cool word. Can you say meno? Say meno. Meno. Me, no. What does abide mean? Abide really says, for me, I say no. I say no to myself. And I say yes to God. Abide means to remain. It literally means to remain and be connected with God. The Holy Spirit will abide in you, remain in you. For how long? Forever. In other words, He doesn't leave you. We've heard this before in John chapter 15. In Jesus' discussion on you are, you are the, the branch, I am the vine. Abide in me and I in you. Right? So that's the same word, minna. Have you ever thought about how that really works, logistically? How does it really work? I'm supposed to abide in Christ. And as much as I can, I'm trying to abide in Christ, but I end up messing up. Stop it. The Spirit-filled believer will always abide in Christ. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is abiding in you and gives you the life flow of God within you abiding in Christ. When you quench the Holy Spirit through sin, you're cutting off that life source. You're grieving the Holy Spirit within that. And abiding in Christ really means remaining in Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit that's dwelling in you. It is not on you to abide in Christ. It's upon you to depend on the Holy Spirit dwelling in you to abide in Christ. Now that's a whole lot easier. Because that means I just need to listen to my helper. I need to listen to the Spirit of God that dwells in me. I need to listen to the Word of God that the Holy Spirit receives and interprets into my life. And the Spirit of truth is God's gift and guide to guide us through this life. There's more. Flip over in your Bibles to John 15, 26-27. As we take a look at that passage, we read it earlier... It says, when the Helper comes, I'll send him to you from the Father, that the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he'll testify about me, and you will testify about me. So when we take a look at this, this next level, not only is he a guide, but he's, a, he's there to support us in ministry. 
The Father has sent the Holy Spirit to you. In the same manner that God had commissioned Jesus to die on the cross for your sins, to redeem you and to justify you from your sin, is the same way that the Father will commission the Holy Spirit to indwell in you forever. He is a gift. He is a person. How do I know that? Because it was modeled. Do you remember Jesus' baptism? When Jesus went into the water and he came out of the water, what happened? There was a voice from heaven. said what? This is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. And then what happened? The Holy Spirit came down like a duff. Now wait a minute. How does that work? Isn't Jesus God? Yes. Why did God commission the Holy Spirit to present himself like a dove upon Jesus at baptism? For the work of ministry, because that's the official start date of Jesus' ministry. Fully God, not needing any extra power, but demonstrating what happens to the believer when he comes to a place of dedicating their life unto that ministry and empowered for that. God wanted to demonstrate how if Jesus was given an assistant, a helper, this dedication as the Holy Spirit that would be with him, how much more do we need the Holy Spirit to empower us for ministry? We look at the passage, it says this in, in Matthew three sixteen and 17, it says, After being baptized, Jesus came up, and immediately from the water, behold, the heavens opened. He saw the Spirit of God descending as a dove, lighting on him. And behold, a voice came out of heaven. This is my beloved Son, in whom I'm well pleased. Great! Holy Spirit's present. What happens next? <laughs> You've got to go to Matthew 4, 1. And then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Great. Spirit filled, spirit of power, we're going to do ministry. Now go do it. Where you got to go? Out to the wilderness. Led by the Spirit. Guided by the Spirit. And for the first 40 days in the wilderness, you see Jesus doing what? Fasting and praying. And then the temptation came. And how did Jesus combat the temptation? Three temptations. And all three were combated with the Word of God. Within this. The Holy Spirit was not tempting Jesus. Satan was. But the Holy Spirit was partnering with Jesus within this ministry and continued to do so within this because Jesus needed the extra power. No, please do not mistake that as a model to show us what happens when we come to faith. And the Holy Spirit fills us and guides us. And even though we will be led into these difficult times in our life, He comes alongside and empowers us and brings to our remembrance those scriptures, those things that we need to know. The truth that is there. we got to understand that we have been given this, this condition of salvation, and sanctification. The ongoing work of setting you apart for God's holy purpose is a work of the Spirit of truth. Your faith journey is going to be a journey. 
It's a journey where the Holy Spirit is going to guide you and lead you throughout your life to different places, to different people, for different purposes and all of these things. And if you follow Him, then He will use you for what? To tell other people about Jesus. Notice, in the text it says that they were to be testifying about Jesus. It's interesting because the word testify is martyro. And it literally means it's a, a, a condition of testimony. The Spirit would come upon the church. When? Pentecost. What would they do? Testify about Jesus. The Holy Spirit would come upon them and establish the kingdom on earth. For how long? Until Jesus' kingdom would come. Luke chapter 12, 11 says this, And when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, don't worry about how or what you're to speak in your defense or what you're to say. Why? Because the Spirit of truth is there with you. The beautiful thing about this is you don't have to do this on your own. You don't. Stop working so hard in your own strength and rely on the Holy Spirit that's dwelling in you to guide you, to lead you. And when you get lost, say, God, I'm lost. Find me. Holy Spirit, lead me out of this mess that I got myself into. And when given the opportunity to testify about Jesus, that is not something you create. Have you ever had that, that divine appointment where you were doing something as something as normal as, I don't know, going to Safeway or whatever, and somebody comes up to you and they start talking to you, and then you, you get this like urge like, you know, to, to comfort them or to, to tell them about Jesus or, or, or to just give them support? Where does that come from? God. As we're studying with Next Gen, God's at work and He's always at work, and He invites us into His work. When God invites you into His work, He empowers you through His Spirit to be able to speak. Divine appointments are around us all the time. And they're really cool when you pay attention to them. And how God works that out. You know, and, and, and all of these things. The last passage I want to look at is John sixteen thirteen. If you remember from when we read it earlier, and I'll refresh your memory, it says this. But when He, the Spirit of truth, comes, He will guide you into all truth. He will not speak of His own initiative, but whatever He hears, He speaks. And He will disclose to you what is to come. The future is a scary thing. Many people are afraid of the future. God, where am I going? What's happening to this world? We need to, to, to be calm. God's got it. And every step of the way, God will guide us. The Holy Spirit is our guide for truth. A guide is crucial within this. Why? Because if you ever go out hunting or fishing with a guide, you're going with somebody who has an expertise in what they're doing. They've been there before. They know what they're doing and they know where to go within, and to be successful. Has God ever sent guides? Yes. I want you to think about it in this light. When Israel left Egypt, has Israel, did Israel ever leave Egypt before? No, they had to go out. God said, I'm going to take you to a land. So what did God do? God sent Moses. Well, where did Moses learn to guide the people? Forty years in the wilderness. God sent him out 40 years in the wilderness. Then he says, go guide my people out. 
Moses is like, well, I've been in the wilderness, but I've never guided that many people before. God says, don't worry. I will be with you. In Exodus 13, 21, 22, it says, The Lord was going before them in a pillar of cloud by day and lead them on the way in a pillar of fire by night to give them light, that they might travel by day and by night. He did not take away the pillar of cloud by day, pillar of fire by night before the people. Why? Because God called them out of Egypt. He says, I will guide you. There is a human guide, and I will guide the human guide with my presence. We don't have a pillar of fire, although it would be really nice sometimes. But we have the Holy Spirit who will guide us into all truth. All truth? All truth that pertains to God. The third person in the Godhead is leading you back to God within this. We understand that Jesus was commissioned by the Father to initiate this relationship the Holy Spirit is commissioned by Jesus to teach us all about Jesus. John 17, 7 to 8 says this, Now they've come to know that everything you've given me is from you. For the words which you gave me I've given to them. They have received them and truly understood them that I came forth from you and they believe you sent me. The Father said, Jesus, tell them everything about me that they need to know. Jesus says to the Holy Spirit, Tell them everything that they need to know about me. So you pray. And you can pray to the Holy Spirit. He is God. Pray to the Holy Spirit. Say, Holy Spirit, teach me. How does He teach you? Word of God. The message of truth. And it glorifies the Father. You guys, in our world, we exist in a condition that is full of lost people and distractions and all of these things that want to draw us away. How do I know what is true? How do I know which direction to go? How do I know what is the next step in my life? How do I know spiritually what I need to do? Stop. And say... Spirit of truth, speak. Word of God, speak. Go to God first and say, speak to my heart. And follow the instructions that God gives you. It saddens me when believers start looking for all these other truths. Because all these other truths will lead you astray. And when God has given you the spirit of truth within you, you pick up your Bible every day. Word of God, speak. You pause and pray. Word of God, speak. Spirit of truth, lead my life. And I guarantee you that the Holy Spirit will lead you in the direct path and way that God would have you. Is it always going to be easy? No. Jesus got led into the wilderness. He said, well, wait a minute. Maybe I made a wrong turn. No, you're there. Watch and see what He's going to do even in the trial and the temptation. And He'll tell you how to overcome it. To build your faith. We need to follow the Spirit of truth as He guides us into all truth. And it's the truth of God is the most important thing we need to have. 
Let's pray. God, I thank you. I thank you that you give to us your word. And your word is true and it's always true. Lord, I would ask that even now that we would be in your presence and and understand our condition. There are some in this room today or some that are watching online that feel lost. They don't know which way to go and what to do. Lord, I would ask that you would minister to their hearts. As we close out our service, the last thing that we want to do and during this last song as we reflect on, on God's Word. Part of what we do on Communion Sunday is we, we take up a special offering to help other people. If God puts on your heart to be able to give to this fund, know this, that you are blessing somebody. Pray. Say, God, would you have me to give to this? And if God gives you that that unction, then do it. And we're going to pray that these resources meet the needs of those that that have me. God, I thank you for this gift and the givers. Holy Spirit, I pray you move on people's hearts. Not, Not just for the giving, but for life. May we become completely dependent upon you for all things. And may these resources meet human needs through loving hands for the glory of God. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.
church. May we walk according to the path that you set for us. For those that are in this room that are feeling lost, may they have been found today. May they recognize your presence and your power and your love. And may you lead them in the paths of righteousness. We ask all this in the blessed name of Jesus. And all God's people said, Amen and praise Jesus. Have a blessing. Thanks for joining us in the study of God's Word with Pastor Kerry Wacker. We'd love to have you join us in person for worship each Sunday morning at 9 a.m. or 1045 a.m. We also meet Wednesday nights at 630 p.m. Warren Community Fellowship is located at 56523 Columbia River Highway in Warren, Oregon, between Scappoose and St. Helens. For more information about Warren Community Fellowship or about WCF Ministries, call us at 503-397-397. 4387. And don't forget to like us on Facebook.